blown through nap time hours ago. Yeah, I know. That's always true, though. You're always blowing through nap time when we're recording the podcast. I know. It's so terrible. <laughs> no, usually I can get a good, like, little 15-minute little little eye flutter in. Maybe a tenor. I mean, maybe. Sometimes. But not tonight. Tonight it's late. It's late on this Monday eve. It is. It is late. It is a frigid Monday. We're about to blow right through bedtime. Oh, yeah. That's going to suck. Yeah. Not for me. Well, no. I got to wake up. Oh, fuck. You don't have to get up. Yeah, I do. Why? Conference call. Oh, that's fine. I just dial in at 8.59 and I go, hi. Why don't you just leave your laptop on your nightstand? That way you can just roll over, put the Zoom call on, turn the video off, go back to sleep. It's on the telephone. Oh, then you don't even have to go anywhere. I never have to turn my camera on ever. If anyone ever asks like, hey, camera, anyone want to turn on the cameras? I'm like, <laughs> no. Um, Let me ask you a question about work culture. Why do they schedule Zoom conference calls for early in the morning. You would think they would just do that later in the day for people in different time zones, perhaps. Well, because it's only for the East Coast or certain East Coast places. Um, and other people decided that it was more effective for them because it was before, you know, businesses are open so they can just be on it and like not be have to worry about like what's going on on, you know, their floors. And I was like, do it on Mondays. Do it on Mondays. Some of us worked all day, all weekend. And we just want to be done at two o'clock on a Monday. Just get it done. We can take our breaks, eat, and then jump on a conference call and then go back and do work stuff. And I got shut down. I was like, guys, I don't think you understand. I make more. I do higher volume than all of you. I have the vote of three people. I'm a super majority. I feel that you're getting too specific about your work environment for the main episode. Oops. So I'm just cautioning you. I didn't say any th- anything about where. I was trying to ask you a general question, oh. you know, but I got uh, my, I got my answer, you, you which understand? is basically that like higher up people are like, no, we'll just do it at the most convenient time for us. Oh and no, not for else. them, but like you know, it was kind of like a we voted, and I was like, but did we? We supermajority said no mas, me no likey. I like to sleep in on my days because I'm always going to have Tuesday off, or most of the time I'll have Tuesday off. Ideally, I have Tuesday off. Yeah. So, oops, I got outvoted. And you have to show up for this call even though it's on your day off. Oh, yeah. What happens if you just don't go to it? I get a mean text of, hey, someone jumping on. I'm like, oops. Or I jump on, like, usually I'll hear the buzz, like, then, and I'm like, oh, fuck. And then it's, like, ten minutes later. I'm like, hi. Not that this exists in your mental universe, but let's pretend for a second you had a legitimate excuse. I would probably be like not jumping on. Say you were traveling or something. I've done that even like when I was on vacation, I was on the call at home. What? You, uh-huh. You're allowed to not do that, right? Yeah. But then I would have to have show someone else like, okay, you're going to install this app and then you're going to have to jump on and do this and just listen. Why would you have to show that to somebody else? You're off that day, right? But someone has to appear. You so, know, my my one of my employees would have to appear in my stead. Okay. All right. I'm bored by this already. Never yeah. Why mind. are you? You asked about it. So, like, this is, you know, this is weird cultures where, you know, people couldn't be trusted to dial in to a call. So now we have to use a Microsoft product because people don't know how to mute their fucking phones. It's my favorite thing. Like, hi, can you like, can you go on mute? Why don't you all go on mute? Seems like uh, other people are talking. So you want to go on mute? 
It just boggles minutes. my mind that there's a person out there in the world that couldn't figure out how to join a conference call. You just email them a link, right? Or you know, yeah. The, well, no, they would dial in, but then they wouldn't mute themselves, so it would just be background noise. I understand that time. part, I'm, but that's an additional incompetence. Yeah, everyone, everyone in any sort of corporate culture is just like, okay, dial in your conference call, boop boop boop, your access code, boop 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 boop. All right, you're now joining. Now put in a conference. Star six. Right, no matter what conference call thing you're on star six yourself right away mute immediately see i don't know if i necessarily would have known that i've been on like group zoom calls and stuff but you're kind of like never in a noisy place right and if you are like you you know muting yourself is easy with an icon i never yeah, knew about tap star tap. six that seems like something that's from old the school 80s. yeah that's yeah. old school conference call culture yeah that's american psycho style yeah I mean, well, kind of, but you always make sure you're like, let me mute my actual telephone now, and I'm going to star six, just because you're talking shit the whole time through most conference calls. Cool it with the anti-Semitic remarks. What? Stars? Okay. You know, I didn't come here to be attacked. It was a double reference, and you only got half of it. I don't know what the the listeners decide. I don't know what this means. (laughs) It's just a real thing. I know. Okay, relax. Will's in a vulnerable place right now, apparently. I came on You're this going all baby on me in the first fucking five minutes. <laughs> I did do the don't hurt me. All no. right, all right. I'll try to be nice to you this time. I'm mean to you a lot, so. Yeah, I, there is, I've been, I've had to do some re-listens because, you know, when you're doing lots of driving, you're like, huh, I guess I ran out of things. Time to re-listen to a conversation I already had. Yeah. Um, You know, for all the times that, you know, you go, can I finish? You often cut me off with frequency. I do, but I let you go on for longer, and mm. you cu- you cut me off with much more frequency. I'm gonna, I will die on this hill. There was one episode where I was like, "Wow, I couldn't get a, I couldn't finish my thought," and probably couldn't tell you what the thought was anyway that I was trying to get to. Well, here's a little behind the scenes for the listeners. What sometimes happens though <laughs> is that I will let you go, and, and I don't get there, and the thought <laughs> never comes. There. I know. Or I'll let you go and you'll forget what you're talking about. I get distracted. (laughs) It's about the journey, you know? You know, so. I'm a big fan of journey conversations. Where were we going? Okay, so anyway, back to the... If the journey is a circle, if you just have one leg and it's keeping you in the same park and not doing donuts... I always wanted to live on a cul-de-sac. I don't know what to tell you. It's a little bit frustrating. You never lived on a cul-de-sac, huh? Oh, you lived in the same house your whole life. I forget about that. No three houses you had three three different houses well, one was baby when you were born yeah you were brought home to a place right yes and then like two streets over from there okay and then you know 10 streets over from there yeah okay yeah but that's you know that's a limited we never went to the suburbs you right. know you know i guess come to think of it i really only lived in two houses as a kid i i come to th- think that i lived in more than i did because in my adult life my fucking parents have lived all over the place multiple right. places and it gets confusing now that doesn't count but yeah, yeah i didn't grow up there yeah but cul-de-sacs yeah i didn't grow up on a cul-de-sac but i grew up on a street that was a u-shape at the end so huh. that it just connected to the next street and then went back up does that make sense not really so rather yeah. rather than end in a closed loop circle you would just drive around like a hairpin curve and be driving up the parallel a different street. street yeah that's very that's very sub, like planned suburban thing so you can have you know there like there's literally no side street then 
No. It's just a curve? Yeah. Yeah. Who has to mow the big curve lawn portion? Interesting question, actually. The houses at the end of the U-shape were really desirable. There was one totally empty lot because there was a ravine right there, and the ravine butted up basically against the sidewalk. Oh. So there was one lot that wasn't occupiable. And then the other ones people really wanted because they had relatively small front yards, but they had huge properties. Sometimes the backyards were large, but again, there was a ravine there. So you would own a ton of this property back into the woods with the ravine. Who wants woods property? It was pretty cool. I don't know. Um, what are you doing with that woods with the ravine? A lot of shit, man. That, that's where I hung out as a youth most of the time. The one kid, I forget their last name, but his name was Jason. You always know these people's freaky ass last names. I know. I know. I can't believe I'm blanking on it now. I'll think of it later. But anyway, he, he had the largest property down at the end of the block. And his backyard was a relatively long, flat area until you hit the ravine, and on it was a basketball court. Huh. Concrete basketball court. Seems kind of much. amazing. Yeah. They didn't build it. Oh, it had it been there, there like since the 70s. Huh. Yeah, weirdly right. enough. It was like just an ancient basketball court kind of set into the woods. And then you would start to hit the slope of the ravine, and we had all these bike trails that the neighborhood kids cut in back there. I got a really gnarly injury one time because there was a jump that went over a hole. And I didn't clear the hole, just kind of like endoed right into it, and then went right over my handlebars and cut my shin open really bad on the bike. Um, but yeah, so that's what we would do. You would ride your bikes down there. You'd play paintball down there. Paintball? Yeah. Ew. What? Paintball is for indoors in a... No. What are you talking about? Most yeah. people play paintball outside. Oh. What? I thought Clearly it was Clearly you're not thing. a golfer. No. I was as a youth. Um. <laughs> Why? But yeah, no, most people play paintball outside. Again, another reference that went over your head that I'm just going to I don't know what past. you're talking about. That's okay. Um, I did not have, I was not, we've already, we've talked about this in a long past episode. I was not, uh, my suburban youth culture was not existent because I did not live in a suburb, quite frankly. Yeah, you lived in an original like exurb right yeah. on the edge of the city. Mm-hmm. Would you call it a bedroom? T- I don't know what, it, not really. No, I think they used to call those like um, trolley car suburbs. That's not strictly true in the Cleveland sense. It might have been at one you gotta point. You got to choose who you're going to run over? But no, the original suburbs were just basically like neighborhoods that were the end of the line for public transpo, whether that was buses or trolley cars or subways. Huh. Those were like, you know, the original Rock suburbs away. before they actually went fully Farther, like, yeah. development style. But basically like Levitt far Rockaway. style. Yeah, I guess. I don't even know if that would count. I mean, New York City is a weird kind of exception because it's been so big for so long that I'm not really sure. I guess. Hmm. I mean, I did see, like, I saw an, an RTA um, when I was home last, and I was like, wow, those look shitty. You saw the train or the bus? The bus. Yeah. Rapid was, transit authority for people not from Cleveland. It was... You know, RTA, MTA, something transit. I yeah. literally was like, "What is the R? I don't. It's got. A, it's a hard R. I don't know." Um, <laughs> that, oh, that the could hard be hard R. That could, that, could, that could be taken too many ways. I'm. I was thinking. Of, Depends on what part of Cleveland you're in. <sighs> we have to. This is the after show. <laughs> oh, this is the after show. We're doing it in reverse. Oh, God damn it! I was thinking more of the differently mentally abled, but. Okay. Oh, the R word transit authority. Yeah. Oh shit! I fucked up my. <laughs> you listening? That was your. I'm so tired. Mulligan. Oh my god. Right there. 
<sighs> Reader, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> Imagine how tired we are. Um, yeah. So you I, saw an RTA bus. Yeah, and I was like, whoa. And then there was one person, and I was like, what is the point? But then I saw someone like running to want to not a stop. It was just like a you know like a a strip of grass in front of a drug mart, and I was like, this is not an RTA stop. And then I looked like when I continued driving, I was like, oh, it is, but it doesn't tell you like again. I don't want to go over street signs again, but it just ha- it's just a little medallion. It doesn't tell you what bus is coming, where it's going, anything that like we have. And I'm like, this is where I think my initial fear of buses comes from. Where I'm like, how do you know where the bus goes? Yeah, I was always sketched out by the bus in Cleveland. A, because I was a white kid from the upper middle class suburbs, and they're just, unless you were on a school bus, there was no such thing as buses there. Buses were for poors. And it was scary by that alone. But also, it was impossible to navigate, because like you're saying, they don't tell you where they go. You just have to know. In a small regional city like that, you just have to know the routes. You can look at the map at the stops, at some of the stops. They have no that. map. No, no, no. They had that like That's in Coventry and stuff. In the in the more trafficked, higher traffic stops, they would have them. Sure, you have to get the drunk kids home from Coventry somehow. But that's the thing about buses in Ohio. Is like, yes, obviously, like poor people take them, but rarely because they're so. But useless. most most poor people still have cars. The people that are taking them, the reason that it's sketchy is the people that are taking them are people that can't drive. Whether that's because they a lot have of too many DUIs, a lot of Deweys. or they just got out of jail, or whatever it is, it truly is like. Life is hard if you're on the bus. A hard clientele. Yeah. Unless you're in the college area. Or old people. A lot of old people are like, well, I can't drive because I'm old. That's true. Yeah. The kids took away the keys, but they also won't take you anywhere. I don't know. Right. I I do fear that in in my old age. I'm like, well, I don't have children. And I will never have children. So how am I going to get around? Yeah, no, I wonder about that. That's going to be a problem for us. Grandpa's going to be rolling through just blowing stoplights left and right. Mm Mm-hmm. Driving up on the sidewalk, hitting pedestrians. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah. They'll, they'll get over it. Uh, I mean, it'll make parking a breeze. I'll just tap each car a couple times, and then when I get out, they'll be like, never mind, I'm not going to fight the old man. And I'll be like, <laughs> gotcha. Which is about 10 years. It's the pretty way much that, already yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, look at that, look at that young can- cancer patient. Driving his busted Corolla around. Young. You go to hell and you die. (laughs) How dare you? Look at that middle-aged cancer patient. Look at Walter White go. Now that I can... Now that I have a mustache. It's not great. It's not a great mustache. You don't... You have a beard right now. No, this is shorter and then this is a little longer. This goes in my mouth. We talked about this on an after show, I think. But Hmm. you're dancing around the classic gay look of bald and mustache right now. Mm-hmm. And you're just keeping the beard there as a hedge mm-hmm. when what you should be doing is actually going for it, man. You got to get rid of the beard. No one can tell that the mustache is like a little bushier an eighth of an inch longer than the rest of your facial hair. Well, this is a three. It doesn't count this as a This is a four. This is a two. Nobody does this. Nobody does mustache with full beard. That's not a thing. That's just a beard. You have to, you know, it's got to go shorter shorn on the sides. I, think I don't know why you're afraid of it. We've been through this. I like, think I also am just going to shave my actual head. Yeah, I know. We talked about all really? this on an after Oops. show already that you don't remember. Mind eraser. Apparently. Yeah. Hi, this this episode, this this particular after show brought to you by Mind Eraser. Um, we don't have to get into it again, but the, yeah, my adv- advice to you was don't do the thing you did with the wisps of hair on your head. 
which was I, oh, it's coming back to me now. Cling yeah. to the ghost for eight years until while I all saw of your pictures. Friends said, "Hey, man, you might want to like you know investigate this option or that. Just do it. If you want the mustache, just do it. Your beard grows fast enough that if you don't like it, you shave it off, and in two weeks it's it's back to That's normal. That's true. It's yeah. really not the same as your head hair. Like it's a temporary thing. It's not a big deal. Plus, I think you would look pretty good. You just got to accept it. Mm. I'll I'll try." I'll do that on my vacation. I'll test it out. I'll test the water. Do it on your vacation, because I think part of what might be tripping you up is the anxiety of going to work and people being like, "Ooh, you made a choice." Yeah. And then you have to like live with that from your coworkers that are not you're not friendly with, but yeah. you know they're judging you. for I would it. keep the mask on the whole time. Eating, I'd be like, "No, I'm going to go to my shame hole <laughs> in the bathroom and eat." Oh my god. Yeah, the worst thing is having to explain things to your coworkers because, like, even if you're friendly with them, it's like I don't really want. They'd be like, "Why are you doing a porn stash?" And I'd be like, "Listen." Yeah, Listen. I just don't want to reveal any of my life to you. This is my thing with coworkers. I think about this a lot because I'm still relatively new at my job, but I'm comfortable enough with everybody. But they also don't know a lot about me. I think that's a good thing. They should not know that I, much about and I, you. And I agree. I don't think that people with that proximity to you need to know really anything about you. It's an, it's so much better if they don't. If I have to see you 40 hours a week, I mean, it's one thing if you're like coming up together and like you are literally like working yourself to exhaustion like you 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 do get very like some of my best friends i are co-workers just because we were just in the trenches getting it um but now as you know as this the you know as mother superior i'm like i don't want to i don't need to know your lives you don't need to know mine because everything has to be distanced sure for hierarchy purposes yeah it can be for hierarchy purposes and it can also just be like a stress reducer for me it's like it's not really a hierarchy thing it's just like it makes it easier to clock in and clock out of a job if you have no investment in the people there either like i don't mean that in a bad way like i like right. being friendly with them and everything but it's like i don't want to think about anything extra about my coworkers. they right. sort of disappear like NPCs in a video game at five o'clock and yeah. I walk yeah. out the door and that's the way I'd like to keep it. And if yeah. I'm that to them, I'm all the better for it right. because they don't need to know, you know, that I make jokes like hard R T A. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that would upset them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. probably. Oh, God. Um, yeah. I mean, this is what I learned from my, my, my stint in finance when it's just like, Oh no, we have to socialize afterwards. No. And, you're, and you're like, why are you just getting me drunk all the time? Because that, because that was like a breed of loyalty where it's like, well, it's free. So I guess I'll go. And you're like, wow, I can't function the next day or for two days. Yeah. It's not great. There's a lot of work from home people right now writing articles that are like, we miss the socializing at work. It's the only thing that gave us like, get friends. Fuck you. Like, no. world. But you know, it's true. I think it's, it's hard for me to relate to because I've always had a lot of friends. Like in every period of my life, I've never, I've never felt particularly isolated, even as a young kid, you know? I don't know. I never had those times in middle school or whatever where, like, you just felt like the odd person out. I was picked on and stuff at different times. Why are you times. talking about me in front of me? But, you know, well, because maybe, yeah, maybe your experience contrasts with this. But I've never had that. But I do think there are genuinely people that go through, like, a ton of their lives just never developing more than relationships with their family and maybe, like, two people. That's weird. And then, of course, as you get older, people necessarily grow apart because they're having kids and they move away and stuff and it's hard to maintain those relationships 
So if work is all you got and like playing Xbox and drinking IPAs on beanbag chairs after hours at Y&R is like your whole life. And you know, the last couple of years, probably not great for you. No. I mean, I don't know. But also, yeah, like grow up. Get friends. Just get friends. Join a club. Like, like this is w- this is the kind of thing when people are like, "I'm new to a city and I don't know how to how to you know do whatever." I'm like, "Why did you move to a city where you don't know anyone? What the fuck's wrong with you?" I, people do it for jobs, you know. That, that Why would I, you do it for a job? That I understand. I mean, think about it. If suddenly someone said you could make one hundred and forty thousand dollars a year, like something not life changing. It's not like winning the lottery, but something so significant that you would be forced to consider it. Right. And it was, you have to move to Phoenix, Arizona. No. You just wouldn't do that? It's too hot. Also, why do I want to go to a place where my only thing in life is the working thing, and then you have to figure out, like, oh, do I want to have a studio and a hot box? Like, no. Well, uh, then, you, then you can't necessarily dismiss these people that are struggling socially, especially right. in their 30s and 40s, or even 20s. Like, you can't dismiss them out of hand, because a lot of people would do that. I mean, think about it this way. I would consider something like that, because all of a sudden, if you have $140,000 a year now, that's more than double what I make. So mm, that's yeah. a, incredibly life-changing. You're in a city that's probably a little bit cheaper, although all cities are getting kind of the Stupid, same. yeah. But... It's probably a little bit cheaper. You have so much more money than you had before. My mind immediately would go to, well, okay, like I would be isolated from all my classic friends, except I could travel whenever, whenever I want. Whenever you wanted, yeah. That's the, that is Hop the only thing. Hop on a plane thing. and go back to New York for a long weekend, you could do it. Yeah. It wouldn't hurt your wallet. That's true. Yeah. You could buy a $700 plane flight a couple times a year. Like It wouldn't be a big deal. Oh, if you just plan in advance, you could be like, well, I'm out of town every other week. Sure. Yeah, which and is what probably, a lot of people you know, do. And, yeah. and assuming like you, these tech jobs and stuff that do pay this, they get five weeks of vacation and all this other shit. Yeah. You would actually have all these options. Right. You could have a real vacation every year that you did by yourself or with a friend. You could go visit friends all the time. I mean, I see it on Instagram with people that have these jobs. They yeah. do do this. Right. So why why wouldn't you do it? I don't know. It's not that big of a deal. Mm. And then, but like, yeah. But then, if you are the kind of person that's you're not like this though, and I'm increasingly becoming not like this either. But like. If you're not socializing like every night or whatever, and you're mostly okay with like, yeah, I come home to my apartment and it's like quiet and I like that. What would really be the difference living in right. Phoenix or living here? Like almost nothing. Uh, I don't know. The heat, whatever. You have air conditioning. You also don't have winter at all. Yeah, but you also have like, I don't know. There's something about like, again, energy, energies of places. Energy of desert is not my wavelength. I mean, you don't know that though. You've never lived there. I've been to there. I've seen enough. You've been to LA like twice, and you've been to Las Vegas once, right? Yeah. Too flat. A lot of flat. A lot of flat. Mm, that's not true either. There's mountains in There's both mountains. places. I'm, I, but Phoenix, I don't think, has mountains. Uh, Not as much, no. But Phoenix is like... It the Sierra Nevadas. It's not that far away. Like, But anyway, like, I don't know. I don't know that y- you... I don't know that you've had a diversity of experience enough to know. I don't know that I mm-hmm. have either. I mean, I've only lived in New York and Ohio. So, yeah. I mean, Vegas, I guess. That doesn't count. I think I've You're been. Baby. I was a baby, but I've been to Vegas enough right. that I know it well. But, like, I don't know. Why wouldn't you give it a shot? If there's nothing, like, I don't know. I um, hmm. Again, dismissing things out of hand is what I all, will always You're, challenge yeah, you. About. Yeah, I know. Um, But, like, if it was, like, Montreal, I'd be like, oh, sure, interesting. It's a city. 
and bitchy French people. It's interesting that you think that that's like that much different, though. Like, I get that Montreal has some like old world charm because yeah. it's like French Canadian or whatever. But fine, we could sub Phoenix for New Orleans then. Oh, I would go there. Give me, give me a buck forty to move to New Orleans. Absolutely. Okay, sure. But I mean, all of that is like romanticization of places anyway. I mean, we've talked yeah. a million times about how cities have just become all a version of the same thing. Like right. the reason New York's yeah. not the same as it was because just you get gentrified glass condo buildings. It's the same everywhere. Right. Especially New Orleans. It was fucking destroyed by a hurricane. Other than the French Quarter, I don't everything know. it's probably it's just, shitty now. It, I mean, it was always a little. I like I like places that have always been a little seedy. I think. That's everywhere, though. Really? Sure. Old places, yes. Even new places. I mean, there's no... I mean, what do you... Like, I don't want to move to Dallas. What does old and new mean to you? Old, like, Boston, New Orleans, New York. LA's new-ish. Philadelphia, old but terrible. We've... That's ground covered. Chicago is weirdly always new. Like, Chicago is what Williamsburg is all the time. I think you're only thinking about certain parts of Chicago, though. Mm-hmm. I've been to many different parts of that place, and I'm like, what is old, what is new? And they're like, well, I'm like, can't really put your finger on it, can you? And they're like, no, not really. I mean, to me, the charming parts of Chicago remind me like of other Midwestern cities in the sense that you live in like a... Um, Railroad. But like a large three- or four-story railroad that has like wood siding and a deck... And a backyard. Like, Maybe. I've seen a lot of nice places in Chicago that are, were, like, not expensive that probably are now. They, yeah. But they just, like, reminded me of Pittsburgh or of, like, Cincinnati. It has classic steel. Yeah, it's like the Rust Belt. Yeah. Um, but it was never, like, they never rusted, though. But the pe- Yeah, because it was upkept. The yeah. values are high enough, I guess. Mm-hmm. Except in the places where people are getting shot. Well, yeah, there's that. Um, but like the uh, the last time I talked to someone who uh, lived in Chicago was like, oh, no, I live here and I drive there. I'm like, how do you drive? He's like, I pay for a garage. I work downtown. This dude worked in finance. This Yeah, everybody does Slovenian that. Slovenian finance guy was like, how the fuck is your life? And he's like, I don't know, but I'm also a dick. And I was like, okay. Um, so. Yeah, um. One of my ex-girlfriends, her aunt that we would visit in Chicago sometimes lived in Boys Town, which is obviously the gay neighborhood there that is really pretty expensive. It reminds me of the West Village, but with the Midwestern Don't they call it Andersonville now because Boys Town, the lesbians were mad? Oh, maybe. Andersonville, that's weird. They named it after like the worst Civil War prison. I don't know anything about that. Uh, Anyway, um, she... uh, paid for a parking spot that was on the roof of her apartment building and it was like only $200 cheaper than the apartment it's itself. Jesus fuck. But that's a f- apparently very, very that's common normal, in Chicago yeah. because their public transportation infrastructure is there but is so limited that like basically unless you live in four places that all go to one place. Like yeah. the L is just four lines that all go downtown. That's yeah. it. So if you don't work downtown and you don't live in one of those four places, it's useless it's to useless, you. So yeah. everybody drives. Plus also, no one wa- it's all bussy. Yeah. So like in the cold, Chicago cold, you're not waiting outside. Oh, fuck no. Oh, no. It's I mean, it's insane. I'm, no, ma'am. My other friend that went to college in Chicago who I would visit was a bike messenger there and he would ride all oh, winter. Jesus, fuck no. It was good money or whatever, and apparently he didn't mind it, but I can't imagine doing it. Did I ever tell you the story of the time I went to Chicago in February, and it was really nice here, and it was 
a snow storm was moving through the Midwest. Wait, you went to Chicago since you've lived in New York? No, 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 no. Oh. Like when I was 19. Okay. It was like nice in Ohio. Like to the point where I was like, I'm wearing a sweater and pants. Woo! And then I was like, oh, I don't need to pack heavy. I'll, t- I'll take a cashmere, come up some other sweaters, and a blazer. Not a coat. Right. Now you're fucked. I, took a ve- I had a vest, a blazer, and some sweaters. Meanwhile, the snow comes from what Lake Superior? What lake is that? Lake Michigan? Uh, Michigan, yeah. That shit just starts rolling in. And they're like, how are you? I'm like, I fucked up. We need to go to North Face right now and then i was like holy fuck these are three hundred dollars i've made a huge mistake um it's a north face michael what could it cost (laughs) yeah i was like uh oh never mind and i was like can we go anywhere with a coat and everyone was like it's february there's no coats left we already have spring shit and it's chicago we sold all the coats are you dumb i'm like yes i am very dumb i'm from ohio and i didn't plan ahead i thought i'd be fine i thought we'd be taking cabs everywhere and that was a deep mistake. Well, yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, you could analogize it to Cleveland and New York, right? Like, the weather is broadly pretty similar, but in the winter, if you catch a day here and a day there, it can be drastically different. It can oh, be yeah. a foot of snow and 12 degrees in Cleveland when it's, like, 40 degrees here. Yeah. It can also... But Which is what's happening right now. But there's similar times where it's 40 degrees there and 40 degrees here. Yeah. Like, I talk to my dad about the weather constantly. It's his favorite subject. So it's always like, what's it like there? And it's either exactly the same or night and day. Do you get the calls of, well, it's happening here right now, so you're going to get that soon? And I'm like, yeah, I probably won't because there's, like, some mountains. And uh... Well, that used to be more true. But climate change has made that way less true. The warming of the oceans is why our weather is different now. That's great. We're Um, subtropical, right? I guess I heard that. I have no idea if that's true. I never looked into it. Oh, got it. Um, but the thing about Chicago and places like that is people don't realize that the true Midwest, because we talk about being from the Midwest all the time, but like, and in the most Mid Atlantic is and, technically where. No, 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 not really. Ohio is no, not so, the Mid Atlantic. No. It's definitely the Midwest, but it is the eastern part of the Midwest, and that's really, really different than Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. And like especially the upper midwest and you start to get there in northern illinois chicago yeah. like like wisconsin and minnesota and north dakota and south dakota who that is a the dakotas are the west that's mountain no i mean i think i think the eastern sides of those states like the prairie states are half midwest half west. kansas yeah no that's central central time well, I know, but I mean that 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 is the mid. I mean, a lot of that it's the Midwest, mm-hmm. because because that term is an old term, right? From when Ohio was the western frontier oh, yeah, that's true. of the country, and then it sort of slowly expanded. So it's nebulous in the middle what is Midwest and what isn't. That's true. But I would say like it's a broader swath than you normally think of. Like, yes, I would say people from Kansas can be from the Midwest. No, yeah, yeah. If they, you're from yeah. the West side of Kansas, maybe not. Maybe you're more similar to a person from Colorado or Wyoming, like Rocky Mountain area. Huh. I mean, you're still in the plains in Kansas, but like you probably have a more similar cultural attitude to those people. I've only ever met one nice person from Kansas. I, I think I've only, I can only think of one, two people off the top of my head from Kansas that I know. And neither of them seem representative of the state to me. One of them is a black person, which is really weird. Hmm. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, the only person I know, I'm like, oh, you're so sweet. How charming. Like, I don't know. And then the other one, I'm like, how the fuck did you come from there? You're embittered. Well, I don't know either of the people that I'm thinking of from Kansas well enough to like ever had a conversation about this, but I always think about being from the prairie states as being very strange because you can't orient yourself according to water. Yeah, I, yeah, I like, can't do these landlocked places. This is why, again, the Phoenix, I'm like, where's your water? And they're like, right. well, we're in a drought. And I'm like, eh, gotta go. Everybody from the East Coast, West Coast, and Great Lakes region just... Uh, speaking from how personal do you do directions? I just think you just cannot... How can you navigate without water? And also, like, I think psychologically or even, like, spiritually, from, like, a human perspective, there's something that's, like, seems necessary to me about being, like, near a large body of water, at least a river, or something. And there's rivers everywhere. I mean, even in the prairie states, all the major cities are oriented around rivers. The L.A. River is still a river. <laughs> That's not exactly what I mean. <laughs> a man-made ditch. A ditch is even grandiose. A piss stream is mightier than the L.A. River. But what I'm saying is I think that it just it just makes sense to me to orient yourself according to, yeah, according yeah. to water and to be near it feels nice like... Endless expanse of land feels kind of uncomfortable. There's something actually claustrophobic, paradoxically. Well, where do you get to be? Where do you get to be free on land? Right, and if you live in Kansas, you have to you, you have to drive more than a thousand miles to get yeah, to yeah. an ocean. I've never lived a thousand miles from an ocean. Even in Ohio, yeah, you don't you live seven hundred miles from it. You don't live a thousand miles from an ocean, and 600, you yeah. and you live feet away from an inland sea. Like, yeah, it's very true. weird to think in those terms. I I think about this sometimes in Las Vegas because the only major body of water other than the Pacific Ocean is Lake Mead, which is nearby to Las Vegas, but it's a man-made lake in the first place. It's yeah, I was gonna say that's not uh, the Colorado River is there. That's what feeds into Lake Mead. Okay. And makes the Grand Canyon, you know. But that's an that's hours drive. You don't really get that sense when you're in the city that you're. It's not near twenty anything. minutes away. Not really, no. And what I learned, embarrassingly late, like as an adult on my trips there, was that people orient themselves by the mountains instead. Oh, which makes a lot of sense. Like the different mountain huh. peaks. Obviously, you can tell by sunset and sunrise and things like this. But the different mountain peaks tell people what direction they're looking at. Oh, because um, huh. most most cities in the West because shadows. Like it's a big no 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 the the sundial? peaks of the mountains look different. Like there's one in Las Vegas that kind of looks like Batman's cowl, and I forget which direction it points to. Um, Batman's cowl. What do you mean? Like the ears? It looks like a silhouette of Batman. Yeah. Huh. And people orient themselves according to that mountain. I think it's north, but I could be wrong. Um, gotta say, would never use a mountain as a direction thing. I don't know. Well, I mean, most major cities in the West are in valleys. Right. We, I mean, we do this here. Our mountains are just buildings. Exactly, yeah. We're exactly. just like, where's, oh, there's the Chrysler building. Okay, that's north. It's okay, not fine. that unfamiliar yeah. at all. But again, this is another thing about, like, if you lived in Wichita, Kansas, I guess you have the buildings of Wichita to go by if you're in the city. But, like, those are small cities. But think about in Ohio, like, from Euclid, Ohio, I cannot see the buildings of downtown because they are so small. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And I mean, Wichita is a similar size city, if not smaller, smaller than Cleveland. Yeah. So, so like, how do you, you, like, I don't navigate towards, oh, the buildings are over there. That's west. I'm like, I don't know. Water's over there. So uh, we're going that way. That's north. I mean, you know, the other thing it makes me think about is um, I used to talk to Erica and Ben about seasons changing, like in L.A., because there is season change 
It's just a lot more subtle. It just means you might need to layer another sweater or a vest. Well, I'm not even talking about like temperature. I'm talking about like symbols that, or signs that you can recognize in the environment. Like right. the cactuses do actually change. Like the plants actually do change color. You can tell yeah. if you're native to the environment. So I would imagine growing up anywhere is really similar that, especially if the environment is lateral and almost identical, you would... That doesn't really work. You would latch on to more and more subtle signs of seasonal change, of directionality, of things like this. You'd just be sensitive to them from being native to them. Right. But it's not... I mean, for them, they're like still oceans over to the left. I understand that in terms yeah. of navigation. But yeah. what I'm what I'm trying to... Seasonal change, yeah. Trying to point you in another direction. I think it's also yeah. the... Wi- like, they feel the winds a little more. Like Santa Ana winds. No, that's... Is that a thing there? Or is that... That's it? a thing in Santa Ana, yeah. I don't know where Santa Ana is. Santa Ana is, like, south of... Southeast of, like, Long Beach. Oh, okay. Catalina area? Baja? Catalina is an island that's in the ocean, so no. Baja? Baja... Baja's south. It's Baja's little, in Mexico. It's yeah, but it's the little appendix of California. Yeah, it's the Florida of the West, but it's in another country. It's not in California. I, I'm aware. Okay. But it's but you call it Baja California. No, okay. So you know how LA and San Diego are about what is it, like three hours apart? Uh no. Two. Something three like with that. traffic. Two to two to three hours apart. Because traffic, yeah. S- Santa Ana is on the way to San Diego, but like right when you get outside of LA. But do you know the way to San Jose? San Jose do, do, is that a song? Do, 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 do. Oh boy, <laughs> you don't know that. Okay. No, I, I thought don't. You, I thought you get the San San Jose is south of San Francisco, in Central California. Never been to San Francisco. Have no desire to. Apparently, they're giving people a thousand dollars if you test positive for COVID. What? Yeah, they're, they're paying people to stay at home. Thousand, the city a thousand dollars for ten days. Yeah, they're like stay home for ten days. We'll give you a thousand dollars. Wouldn't this incentivize people to just get it? I would I would, I would l- be trying to get it. That's a lot of money. The hundred dollars to get your booster thing, I was like, fuck you. Thousand dollars you get you get COVID. Thousand, now we're talking. I would like a telephone pole. Telephone uh, no, what's it called? Telephone box what uh, payphone? Payphone, I would like a payphone. I still don't get it, man. What are you are you having a stroke? Do you <laughs> smell toast? What the fuck are like, you saying? I would try to get covid by just like what surfaces are available ah. oh you know that it doesn't transmit from surfaces and we know this now i know so the telephone pole you were fantasizing about i mean take that metaphor to the yeah so i guess it. it's another pole in san francisco <laughs> that i'd be like ah. um i've d- never been to does san- this how i get covid sucking dick no you don't do that yeah. either um i've never been to san francisco either but i regret not going before it became what it is now yeah, I wish I would have gone in, like, or like, I mean, I couldn't have gone in the like full house time when it was cute. And I think parts of it are still like that, but by and large, again, like most major cities, it's just what happens when it's infested with millionaires and homeless people. That's what major right, cities yeah. are now, is no middle class as much as possible, unless you have a deal from 10 years ago. Hi. Hello. Uh and otherwise, you know, all the charm has been completely evacuated by like robot drones getting uh, someone ODing from Fent off of Apple's front door. You know? Yeah. I mean, like, there. Um, I was listening to. Were we listening to the same? No, we were not. Um, there was an episode of High and Mighty where 
he was in San Francisco. Gabriel was in San Francisco. Um, and he was at a burrito place or a taqueria. They were like, yeah, we're, we're not doing server. So like you have to like, when we call it, cause like we couldn't find anyone who lived nearby cause the rent was too expensive. So no server. So you just have to come and get your shit. And he was like, what? What do, you, what, what do you mean you can't have servers because you can't pay enough in rent to have anyone nearby? Yeah. It's weird that they just outright admit it like that and don't try to spin it another way. Right. But... Or like, let's make it cute. Come get your shit. Or like your bartender's little... Like, do you remember Burnside? Yeah. Put your little number on the thing and the bartender will be like, Here's Yeah, I shit. mean, there's yeah. tons of ways around having to admit that. But... Yeah. I, I guess. I mean, maybe people just don't care there anymore. I mean, I know this from listening to Merlin Mann over the years because, you know, he's lived there since 2002 or something like that. Maybe know. That would have been the last time that it was charming. And I, I've been listening to his podcasts now for over 10 years, and he's just been tracking this decay in the background of them the whole time. And I remember like five years ago he was saying this. And, I, and I'm sure that problem ha- is even older than that, but he was starting to notice it as a more or less middle-class person in San Francisco that, like, yeah, they're just nobody no, can yeah. live here, so yeah. there is no underclass, or they have to get bussed in from really, really far, far away. Really far away, which no one wants to do, and you right. can't pay people enough to do well, you that know, for like, their lives. Like, you know, like, I think it's Apple runs their own bus from San Francisco and from Oakland to Cupertino, which is slightly south of yeah. there, because even... Even San Francisco and Oakland are cheaper than Cupertino. Oh, yeah. So they have to have their private public transportation for their worker base or they would never be able to get there. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, most people, like, uh, this is... What's the thing called? The gurney, the guinea, the thing that runs to Long Island? The jitney? The jitney. Yeah. They the have gurney? A, they have a jitney. Yeah, for the old people, but the old people have cars, private cars. James Gurney, my favorite children's book author, Dinotopia. I'm going to pretend I understand the words that just came out of your mouth, but okay. Um, yeah, I mean, like most most middle class people live in Oakland, but even from Oakland to San Francisco, like it's a schlep. Like it's not a straight shot. You're doing a lot of tra- like transferring. Like this was a this was a plot point in the television show, the HBO television show, Looking. About uh, contemporary gaze, it was very bad. It was written very bad, but it was it had Jonathan Groff in it, acting acting a lot, acting hard. Um, you know, he's always acting hard. That guy. But yeah, what was your point? It's like there was a plot point about like Oakland where they're like, "Oh, you're moving to Oakland, okay, R.I.P. Like we'll never see you again. So sorry." And I was like, "You're all poor too here. Like, what the fuck are you? What is this?" Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I think that like the public transportation system of San Francisco doesn't connect to Oakland, right? Like it, the Muni I think there's like in a, San Francisco, yeah. it doesn't go it across. Falls the bay. It falls It does the same thing of like the subways in LA, where you're like, well, good luck. Yeah. Or SEPTA in Philly, you're like, can it go anywhere? And you're like, mm, not really. You're not gonna, you're gonna get somewhere, but you're not gonna get where you're going. To use the Mad Men quote. Mm, yeah. You might die along the way because you might get shanked. Sure. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. No. So f- so moral of the story, no to Phoenix. Yes to... <laughs> That's the moral of the story. Yes yeah. to... New Orleans or Montreal. I mean, whatever. I man. mean, I was offered 10 
$9,000 to move to Boston. I said, you've got to be shitting me, right? Yeah, but that's why I threw out the higher figure. It was like, yeah, I mean, you, you $9,000, I don't know. A, mm. Boston is ex- more expensive than here. Yeah, I understand. That doesn't make up for it, like, at all. It, that's a that's a decision that you still considered, though. No. You, no, you did. I, I talked to you about it off mic. You waited, but it was not, like, really serious. No. But you still thought about it. So I was what like, I, could be nice, but I was like, no. All I was trying to do with the original illustration yeah. is just to pump it up and say, like, well, now you really have to think about it. You can't sort of think about it because it's novel and then be like, yeah, never mind, but... Double your salary, and then you're, now we're talking about something. That's I don't know. I feel like I don't know. Double your salary. That's still yeah. That's a buck forty. Like I don't know. I think is double your salary worth your like happiness or your sense of satisfaction? Like I kind of feel like no. It depends what your sense of happiness and satisfaction means. I mean, to me, what double my salary means. It's not some like shallow love of money just for the sake of it. Right. It's saying like all of a sudden the anxiety I have about every purchase that I make in my life and my debt and my right. n- want and desire to travel disappears. Yes, that's worth considering over your mere social life. Yes. Oh, I don't I don't really especially in these times where the social life ha- is in spite anyway, of yourself yeah. has been destroyed for the most yeah. part. I don't really worry about the social life thing, but I do just worry about like, I don't know, like, again, like, do you know how nice it is to be like, mm, right now, I want to hop on a public transpo and then go get some weird, like, snack and then go do karaoke until three in the morning? You can. Yeah, sure. I wouldn't, but I like the option. Well, I don't understand this, though. The, the, you're contradicting yourself in the same breath like the point is moot you don't care about doing that stuff anyway so for you personally what is the point here and also even if that is something that you care about all of those things are available everywhere you'd have to try a lot harder to get them so if it's that important to you to do that then maybe it is worth being poor in a big city but i don't i, I just don't see the i don't see the math there like i'd just rather be rich in a big quality city. of life and money are correlated so concretely mm. that i just don't get it and i and i don't think it's realistic like even in this hypothetical fantasy making to imagine that you would seriously consider turning down twice the amount of money you make for any reason i i don't believe you unless it, i mean it would have to come with the strings of you work less hard. I don't know. Would it? Yeah. How much harder could you possibly work than you already do? Um, I think there is a... W- well, look, people make this trade-off yeah. all the time, though. You right. go to work on Wall Street as a hedge fund manager. Yes, you work 80 hours a week, but you're a millionaire in two years. Right. Do you really care that you're working 80 hours a week? I don't know. Because you can also just quit your job after 10 years at that point. That's true. A lot of them don't do it because there's other motivations for why they're in that industry. But if you were looking at it from a totally like um, man from Mars point of view, if I was suddenly offered a job at a hedge fund and that was the deal, until I'm 40 years old, you are going to work every day of your life. And they're not going to pitch it this way. But if you look at it and you did the math and you were like, Okay, I would be mostly working, not really spending that much money. Um, if I wanted to spend money, I wouldn't have to worry about it. And I could just cash out at that point and be done. True. 
But then again, this why wouldn't you at least give it a shot? If you gave up after two years, you'd still be better off than you were to start with. This is your argument of lifestyle creep, though. Of like, yeah, you know, uh, you wouldn't stop because you'd be like, well, now I have to get a yacht. What are you talking? I need a boat. Like you might have bought a boat year two, but by year six, you're like, my boat's too small. Well, it's interesting that you would turn the tables on me like this because I would not do that. I don't have I don't have that kind of habituation and if we're just putting ourselves like from our current position into that job. You're not you didn't get this job out of college at 23. Right. And you have lifestyle creep until you're 33 and now you can't retire at 40 because you've been inflating your lifestyle the whole time because yeah. you were a kid for most of it. Yeah. I'm saying you're thrust into like now tomorrow you have a salary of half a million dollars a year. Oh, it's over. So I don't want to have the conversation about like winning the lottery or whatever. But like, I I honestly think like I at this point in my life, because of the circumstances that I'm in, I would at least try. I'm not saying I would succeed to look at that objectively and say like, okay, what's the budget here? I've been living on the the budget of really having like ten thousand dollars of disposable income maximum for the last ten years. If that's all I need. Even if I want to inflate it to having twenty or thirty thousand dollars out of that fifty thousand, that's three times as good of a life right. that I have already, and I'm still banking a shitload, hundreds yeah. of thousands of or dollars. Or you're again digging yourself out of the debt hole. You could dig yourself with a five hundred thousand yeah. dollars salary. You're di- you're out of the debt hole in months. That's true. God, I wish I had that. You're out of the you're out of the debt hole in in two paychecks if you want to be. Would you, uh, Which I would absolutely do that. I would I would live on a f- on, on a ten pound bag of rice. You do, I, I know. This is what I'm saying. Is like I would absolutely, you know, my debt's only seventy or eighty k at this point. Like, <sighs> all right, I'll get rid of that. And my first paycheck is, you know, I don't know five hundred thousand dollars. That doesn't make sense. No. But it would be very fast. You could get rid of it so fast, and then it would all be pure profit. If you if you lived your ascetic lifestyle for one year and banked the majority of that five hundred k, oh, so you're a fire it, person. Well, yeah, financially independent, retired. What's the e? early? Oh, but you uh, but it wouldn't be that hard at this point. Yeah, the fire people. It's hard for them because they're basically making like low income and squirreling yeah. away the majority of it, with the caveat of not taking on any debt in the first place. That's true. That's what they yeah. understand before they go to college that I never did. Um but yeah, I mean it wouldn't be a big deal. You'd be out of the you'd be out of the hole so fast. You work for a few years like that. That's true. Hmm. I mean, the cost of retirement for a millennial, I think, is something like five or six million dollars. Excuse me? At this point, yeah. <gasps> I'll never have that. No. Oh fuck. So on a five hundred K salary, I mean, yeah, you would have to work for like ten years being pretty spartan about it the entire time saving the majority but like that's it 10 years and you're done well the world's gonna end before then so it's fine it won't but no it won't like it's more expensive you know i've been thinking about the world ending a lot because i don't know if you noticed but it's been like a bad news week i gotta stop i gotta stop with this this is a constant problem for me reading the news (laughs) but um well you've also been watching endless uh Werner Herzog. So, ah, but Ver- I think you misunderstand the, Werner Herzog. He's a pretty hopeful guy. It's at the, end the, of the poetics day. of the human spirit yeah. throughout history. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. he's great. Um, he's like we find new ways no matter what, unless yeah. we're trying to kill people. 
we rely on the old ways. Well, the the funny thing is, is that he focuses on apocalypse a lot, right? Like he's a nice intro to this topic. I love. Can you say the the quote that is just so good? We're all just stardust to to a certain extent when these you know meteors like land. Excuse me, I must interrupt. I usually don't do this, but I do have to say I am not stardust. I am Bavarian. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's fucking perfect. <laughs> that motherfucker. I swear to God, like. He's like, I know that you are trying to make a really beautiful poetic po- point, horse-toothed scientist woman who my Italian-American roommate finds hot for some unholy reason. However, Yeah, that woman was hot, especially for a scientist. She was not. As a gay man, I say no. She was not serving anything, you know, hunty, etc. Um I don't know. She clearly works out. She's in good shape for her age. I, she was hot. If anybody's seen, if anybody's seen Fireball, uh, Werner Herzog's new documentary, well, let's talk about the Fireball in the middle of the movie. Oh, you were shooting Fireballs, sexy Italian scientist see. lady. You don't even know. You were like, is she a yeah, POC? You, you and I was said like, she was Italian, but I thought she was like Native American or Indian or something. You thought she was Blasian, to use your quote. Yeah, I was just trying to provoke you. I didn't actually think she was Blasian. <sighs> okay. Unless did you she look, is what she might be. Did you look her up afterwards? No, I didn't. Thank God for all of us. I didn't think to do it, but now I might. Okay. Anyway, I like the Bavarian's the Bavarian stance of I like your poetics, lady, but like let's get real. Well, listen, I mean, Werner Herzog is very self-serious most of the time, but he has a nice sense of humor too like and that's part of the humanity of all of his movies that makes them make sense right like yeah they do take they do take cosmological level things like very seriously and it can seem sort of silly especially with his german accent but he's self-aware and he, he gives you a little well, wink and a nod of he's like, filming the guy silly. in the full reindeer suit doing the bone whistle and he's like we're gonna take a moment i know we're talking about cave drawings but like this guy's wearing some reindeer shit we're gonna let him blow his blow his little whistle okay yeah, well, and, you know, it, he has... He's like, this is weird. I know. What you're just talking about is, like, is a very developed artistic sensibility where he can, like, let a moment play for humor and let it be serious at the same time. Like, you're hearing the music that was made uh, 50,000 years ago, and the guy realizes he can play Star Spangled Banner. On, on a, a bone whistle? On a bone flute that's that old, and you're like, holy shit, that's amazing and then it zooms out and just holds on the shot and you're like this is also ridiculous yeah but that's the human condition you know so he's good at, at doing that he i i think the the reason why i think like our shared appreciation for uh Herzog comes from the human condition is serious painful and full of strife but god isn't it funny yeah for sure it's fucking hilarious. Like, and like, you know, I, I don't know if that's just like being a weird, you know, Eastern really, black person, but I'm like, I, I get it. I don't really know if there's any good art that lacks humor. Oh, all good art has humor. I mean, men, I, well, most uh, of uh, it. Like, I don't think Roth, modern, I don't think Rothko has any humor. I think Pollock does. I don't think Rothko does. De Kooning does. De Kooning absolutely does. Humor all the way down. But I don't think per- painters have particularly bright ideas. Was it such a good idea for Monet to paint those haystacks? It's a very Herzog-like <laughs> line. <laughs> but, like, Manet is full of humor. Like, the of history course. of modernism comes from stupidity. Or, not stupidity, vapidity and going, 
like you know it just comes from self-awareness uh, artifice and uh pointing it out that's all that you know is. the ham painting yeah that's a funny painting because it's got the stew it's got a butter knife on it like as if this little butter knife is going to cut through this big fucking slice of ham and you're like nobody i don't know if it, i well maybe i i don't know if that's even like intentional i think it's just a still life of some stuff on no some why no it's all about choice Manet is all about choices, right? Yeah, maybe sometimes. the the left hand, you know, the lady carrying the guitar, but it's like a left-handed guitar, and she's right. Like, there's a lot yeah, of yeah. That's a man. It's a man. It's a drag queen. No, it's a man with that has the 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 car, the guitar that's strung for a left-handed or a right-handed the, player. The but lady playing it, walking with it. Oh, yeah, not that's the guy. Go- not the painting. no. That's a different painting. Yeah. Okay. I think Sorry. they all have wrong-handed guitars. When he's like doing yeah. that music thing, he's like, no, it's always backwards. Like, because he's like, this is, I'm, he's pointing out the whole, like, viewer mirror situation and also doing the, the fun little visual flip of like, is that right? And it's like, that's the point is like, am I looking at the right thing? Uh, Fully Berger does this too, of like, what are we seeing here? You know? Yeah, sure. Like that, that's the point, but you can have fun with it. The point is the fun, like the joy of the question of what are we looking at here? I know it's a very stupid distillation of something studied by smarter people, but I'm like, you know, I think that's the core. <laughs> I well, don't ha- know. Have you ever seen the Werner Herzog movie Lessons of Darkness? It's sort of his most iconic movie. It's like the one that has very little narration, and it's the burning oil fields after the first Gulf War. I've seen parts of it. Yeah. I think everybody's seen parts of it because clips from it are pretty representative liked of it. the thing as a whole. Um, but that's a Werner Herzog movie that has almost no humor. But it does address the question of what are we looking at here? Because it does this interesting thing of never giving you a wide shot. So there's no... It's very, it's, it is very squared up. There's yeah. no establishing where you are. And I remember um, recently, because I've been on this Herzog kick, I read a quote from him about that movie that said, like, um, it doesn't look like it was filmed on Earth, yet you know it was filmed here. Yeah. Yeah. So... Humor can operate in a in a similar way where it's not about being stupid and it's not about being vapid. Yeah, like right. I, I take umbrage with that. It's it's more just the idea of something that stands in distinction to what you think you know. That's, that's why all hurts. Are, that's that, why that's what comedy is. That's why like even stand ups and stuff when they're at their best are really incisive and really funny. Is that they just they give you a glimpse onto the world that you never would have thought about, but they're pointing out essentially truth. Well, I don't uh, true. I don't like that two word, but I do like the idea of like, did you ever think about it this way? And you're like, no, that's funny. Like it doesn't have to be funny. It can just be different, and then someone just pointing out the reality of sure the, of the, you from the the, the word know, liminal. The word liminal is overused. But when we talking hallways, when you open when you open an in between space, and it's liminal, it's unknown but recognizable. I mean, what is that other than truth? You're you're pointing out. You're creating a dialectic, and then you're making a synthesis that's sort of new. It's a new insight. Well, you're seeing you're seeing through reality, material reality, to something that exists as it you know as a substrate for it. Well, you know the German for that. Do you know that word, the unheimlich? Oh yeah, sure. Right, like the unhomely. It, it's outside of your realm of the base of your knowledge, right? 
And that's always going to be a little like there could be like a little bit of irony. There could be a little bit of humor. Like it's it's just still in your wheelhouse, but it's not in your wheelhouse. It's within your wheelhouse, but not within the doors. You know, it's outside of it. It outside, like you stepped outside, you can see your wheelhouse, but you're not in it. It's unfamiliar, but deeply familiar. I don't know. If, and, yeah. Well, I it, what, and from a Bavarian, you're just like. You're well, the really reason that, the that, reason word, that I'm pausing on this is you always say I don't like the T word. Why? I mean, don't be afraid of calling it what it is. Like there is a, there is a word in English for this. I mean, there is. And making like definitive proclamations about things that are difficult to articulate shouldn't be a thing that an artist is afraid to do. Because eh, I'm a, a pussy. Like I don't. I never. I you know. Do. I never want to say whatever is ab- like. You know, I'm not saying absolute truth, but like, like saying something is you know uh, an essential truth of human experience of vacillating between the known unknown like uh, i think it's shared and that shared experience is essentially true to most people however like is that the truth of all experience like no like you have like there's semantics in there that i get a little wrapped up in the reason that I would always challenge you on this is that what you're promoting right there is the fundamental nature of language as the substrate for everything. That semantic disagreements actually signify something other than a symbolic realm. They don't. I would argue that material reality comes first. So when I say that something is true and you have a quibble that, well, truth denies a lot of... um, symbolic slippage for different subjectivities too bad all of those subjectivities are made of the same atoms well i don't i i, right? I don't i don't but my thing is like if i say something's true like it, it doesn't necessarily allow for like ling- this is where like language is a great uh language rules and definitive structures you know are great at throwing down a lot of guideposts but they're also simultaneously the greatest source of play for understanding this is why like what like the idea of what something uh, of the truth of something and then the idea of truth of something is this big old mishigas of what the word is intended to mean and then how it's felt and interpreted so this is why I'm always like a little like, yeah, I can't really get down on declaring something because that declaration is so nebulous. It's in this, it's a, it's an amoebic form in the way that it reaches into, yes, the linguistic truth, the linguistic idea of what is true and what is felt. And that's why I don't like using that, that T word. I'm not talking about boop. Um, all all it does though when you make a declaration is open up the space for debate that's all you're doing it's nothing to be afraid of the idea that debate would be something that you would want to avoid or that disagreement would be that you're not acknowledging slippages if you make definitive declarations is exactly the opposite of what making declarations does but it does let you it does let the opposing party or the collaborative party know where you stand. Right. If you never take a stand on things 
And you're never willing to change your mind about. I them. like to be a ninja moving around. You don't no, know. No, no, no. I but think is true. Th- this is a constant. Just this is a constant conflict in all of our conversations. Like y- you know, it goes back to the beginning when you're like, "Well, I like to have a journey conversation," but I'm like, <laughs> "Well, the j- if again, if the journey is one-legged and you're just doing donuts in the parking lot, that's not anything." Right. And I think I think we have this constant friction. Um, because I don't see how you can advance theoretically in something as casual as a conversation or in any intellectual pursuit, really, if you're not willing to declare where you stand on it at this point in time. It's not to say that that's inflexible. I think the definition of uh, truth has been uh, warped and perverted by people that would prefer to avoid it than uh what it actually means, which is just that at this position in space and time, this is what I believe. Right. That's all that you're saying. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think it gets reacted to in a very, uh, negative way. Generally. I'm not talking about this conversation. Yeah. But but my question is why, uh, the why gets a little tricky. I mean, you can never answer it, right? Uh, but no, I do think you, you I can. Do think you, you can in this instance, it, but I'm probing you, can, you for what. What uh, do you think? I was saying that as a lark, but I think in this instance, you can actually can get to like a sense of the why of avoidance because it's a matter of strategy. It's not an actual position holding. Like when someone is, like if you're saying, you know, taking a true position or what is presumed to be truth, right? Like that is always a kind of thing that is like, the barometer of that is, do you feel it? You know, you get into religion. Well, no, but that feeling it turns into religiosity. You're, You're buying your own line, which is, you know, that someone could do that. But if you're, dealing with the interplay of what the true position means you are always going to pivot with new information or to with pushback on it like you're entertaining the idea of where you can center that that thought right am i still you still you still with me sure go ahead but like it's very easy to be like well i just like when truth when uh ideas or conversations regarding truth slip it again linguistic slip turns into well i just believe you're like ooh well we're kind of at an impasse that belief should always be open to change truth should always be open to change based on greater accrued knowledge that that's just scientific when it becomes this kind of a amorphous belief structure then you get into religiosity so opinions become moot does this make sense it does but to me it's a mixed message because i'm with i'm with you on the idea that um people that are avoidant or skeptical about definitive claims are deploying a strategy well they're always responding in bad faith yes which it gets hard to make these declarative statements when you're assuming that your audience will always act respond with bad faith because they believe that you believe. And you're like, I don't really believe anything. So I'm like, I'm open. No, no. I think I think you have it twisted a little bit. I think if you're 
insistent on the primacy of language, on the primacy of like artificial human constructs as the foundation of reality. You're you're the one that's religious. And when you're denying definitive claims as even being possible, you've slipped into the realm of belief. Well, you just don't want to... Believing that the synthetic things, the culturally constructed things, are the only interpretation of reality. They automatically devolve into complete atomized subjectivity. There can be no complete agreement. That is religion. That is a belief. Uh, that's that not, is that's not, not religion. That's just a barred subject. But I, you know, you can put whatever term you want on it, but it has the same consequence, right. which is you're you're no longer able to reason as a conversational product, which or, has or, which has right? dire as a conversational product, but that has dire societal consequences. Right. Yes. Because you end up in a weird horseshoe thing where you start to make paradoxically definitive claims about things like identity and race and possibility um, while simultaneously trying to acknowledge that none of those things can possibly be true. Right. It makes no sense to say that none of those, wait, hold on. It's not that those, none of those things can possibly be true, but I might want to hold on to that aspect. So don't come for it. Well, that's why it's that's why it's cynical. Like when, when simultaneously, it, simultaneously, something like race can be the only thing you're supposed to see, yet you should never judge anyone because of it. How is that sensible as a formulation? Yet to, a lot of people on, believe. Hold this. on, to use the what was the name of that documentary with the guy the, the bulldozer? Uh, I think it was called Tread. If. In the movie Tread, I'm going to try to make a nil analogy. If your armor is simultaneously your weapon, you are always going to lose. Well, you might not lose, but you are going to pervert the You're ability gonna... to understand things mutually. Right. It's you. It, it's a poison pill argument to use, like a, something a little bit more uh, contemporary or whatever. But like the idea that, like you know. Taking this this position hurts me, but it's also my greatest strength. Is a weird dichotomy that a lot of people take on, where it's like, I'm so oppressed. Cause, you know, I'll, I'll I'll speak from my position. I'm so oppressed because I'm gay. But God, I'm so great at what I do of, you know, painting blowjobs because I'm gay. And you're like, what? You're rich. Shut up. You're not oppressed. You have a Fire Island share. I do not care about you. Your position is moot. How dare you? Well, your your position in that case, in any of these cases, is not moot because of the particular identity that you're weaponizing in a particular way each particular time, or because of your class status, or, or how what or what anything. identity you're using as a shield to deflect any criticism. That's the operative thing. What you're doing is making yourself impervious from criticism. That's where it circles back to strategy. That's why it's strategic. You need to protect your religion. By saying that questioning the word of God, in this case, that there is no truth, that everything is completely subjective at all times, um, yet my identity is the only way to think about me and access my, my subjectivity. But that's also a facade. Because it's armor. Armor can't be a weapon. It can be if it's religious. Yeah, that didn't work out great. 
Well, yeah, I know. For a lot I mean, of people. I mean, we are in a current position where I think we're probably in for at least a century or two of misery. The advent of the internet is similar to the advent of the printing press and its effect on religion. Right. The Protestant Reformation is a direct result of mass literacy and the distribution of documents easily, right? We got theses to slam on doors. And suddenly when everyone is literate and you can have a personal relationship with God, this undercuts the feudal Catholic structure of most of Europe. And it throws people into disarray for centuries until a new order that can absorb an individual relationship with God. Capital. Yeah. Yeah. Comes into being and establishes a new dominant hegemony that has no need for institutional religion anymore, but the absence of institutional religion gives rise to cults. Because that oh. void isn't filled anymore in people's lives as they're alienated more and more by capital. And so you have QAnon and you have Woke. And more. And they all live in Phoenix. Maybe. Um, but yeah, I think we're in for a century of basically religious war along these lines because people have given up the idea of making definitive statements. Well, the one thing that defi- the one thing that yeah. was good about mass literacy and carving out individual identity is that le- it led to a flourishing in the sciences and in the arts, because an individual could do a lot more without being clouded by uh, the institution of religion defining what was possible. This is where exa- advancements in technology and art come from. That was a good product of the, all of that strife. But, but the more and more the individual comes to define everything um, and technology gets a mind of its own, there's no art left in that. There's no philosophy left in that. There's if no we, thought left in it. No. What are you talking about? Like, exactly. The thought is predetermined. That that is Predetermined thought is cult-like and is religious yes um and becomes a self that's a new kind of ouroboros which we're kind of living through where it's like you know west elm caleb is gonna you know fuck his way through new york but only a certain kind of new york pr girl but we all have to hear about it and then grapple with the idea of is it okay to dox a guy who's casually dating? And the answer is, no, what the fuck is wrong with you bitches? Yeah, of course not. But like, I need my truth of being taken on six dates to be aggressive and understood as such. Like, I'm trying to bring it bring it down. Yeah, we should just start the after show now because you brought up West Elm Caleb. So. <laughs> but no, I what I'm trying to get at is like, you can't make the that snake just a little baby garter snake because the 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 mouth is gonna start chewing on the eyes soon that's like we're getting into vortices that are so small and so individual as as you said that there's too many whirlpools to swim our way out of ideologically i i don't Identitarianly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're just like, you know, in the Odyssey where there's that other swirly thing that's kind of like the Sarlacc pit? Yeah. We're kind of trying to figure out how to get out of that, and no one's throwing us a, like, fucking bone. No. It's going to be catastrophic. 
Well, we hope we get some shipwreck shit. Ah, but that reminds me all the way back to the beginning. Apocalypse. It's not coming. It's here. It happens slow. Yeah. It would be nice if it came in the form of an event, but it won't. Yeah. Listen, all those meteors, little rocks in Antarctica. Antarctica. I'm not drunk. I've been also been unable to speak well all day. I'm also drunk. Hit stop on the record. Thank you so much.